that trailer just makes me smile. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us this weekend. We're especially glad you're joining us. This is your first time in church or first time in a long time. If you're new or relatively new, we have a gift to thank you for being with us. Simply text the word WELCOME to 888-77 and we'll send you that gift. Well, we're beginning a brand new message series today. We are calling Rebel with a Cause, looking at the towering figure of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of the most, again, towering figures in the New Testament. He's mentioned 90 times in the gospel. Uh, the only people mentioned uh, more in the New Testament are Jesus, Peter, and Paul. Uh, he's one of the only figures that we look at both his birth, what happened around his birth, and his death. Uh, every year at Advent, John the Baptist appears on the scene at least one, sometimes two weekends of the year in the gospel passages we read. He was so big and such, had such a crowd following him and so charismatic that at a certain point people began to think he might be the Messiah. He might be the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. That's how charismatic John was. And then there's this statement from Jesus about John. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. I mean, you, you can't say anything better than that. According to Jesus, you're the greatest ever born. Uh, and despite John being such a towering figure, though, I would say we're probably largely ignorant about his life. In part, that's because many of us are Catholics and we don't read the Bible. Um, <laughs> But the second reason, maybe, is because you might have mixed feelings about John the Baptist. I know I do. I mean, on one hand, I love that he kind of is a rebel or a contrarian or a questioner. And I like that about his personality. I'm, I kind of go along the same way. I remember when I went, went to college, I kind of determined, not only because I thought it was true, but because I was going to be this very completely orthodox Catholic because I believed in its truth, but also because it stood contrary to the culture of my college, in my opinion. Um, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, Chris Stefanik. Chris is in ministry. He does a lot of preaching and teaching to individuals. And he said this to me. He said, you know, you and I, we're like the John the Baptist of the Catholic Church. And he was talking about how he talks to individuals. We're trying to work with parishes that rebuilt. And he's like, we're the John the Baptist of the, of the Catholic Church. We're, we're standing against the status quo. We're, we're the voices out in the wilderness, you know, crying out in the wilderness. I thought, I love that. I think, I think I might make that like the, the tagline for us at Rebuild. We are the John the Baptist of the Catholic Church. So I, I like the contrarian nature of John, but I got to admit I'm a little bit uncomfortable with how highly disciplined he was. He's kind of ascetic um, lifestyle, very austere. And when I hear about those parts of his life, I'm like, ugh, I don't know. I mean, we're told about his diet. He ate locusts and wild honey, and he didn't have drink. And I'm like... I like a burger and a beer. I mean, I, I want a good steak and a glass of red wine. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't want to quite go that way. Or look about his clothing. He, you know, he, he wore camel skin. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound too comfortable. Sounds a little itchy. I mean, I, I like to wear a T-shirt and shorts and just be comfortable. They dress me up here. If, I, if, if they didn't tell me what to wear, it'd be a, it'd be a mess. It'd be a problem. Um, and then his words are kind of tough. I mean... At one point, he says to uh, the crowds coming out to them, he says, you brutal vipers, who told you to flee from the coming wrath? And I'm like, geez, chill out, John, come on, calm down. I mean, I, I agree being a straight shooter and talking honestly with people, but can't you calm it down a bit? So 
you know, maybe for you, you might like John because you're a rebel, or maybe you're a rule follower and you're a little bit turned away from him, or maybe you like about John that he's really highly disciplined, or maybe you're like me and you're not so sure because you're not quite as disciplined. But no matter who you are, there is so much to learn from the figure of John the Baptist. And in six weeks, we really even can't do him justice. So we're going to focus on one major theme of his life over the next six weeks. And this is a theme, I think, again, that just runs throughout his life. And it connects with one of the deepest desires of our heart. And this is one of the deepest desires of our heart, but it, you know, it doesn't come out in casual conversation or, or dinner conversation, it, but it's there. And what I'm talking about is our desire for purpose and meaning and to know what that is. We have a deep desire to know our purpose and meaning for life, why we are here. I mean, think about it. Rick Warren sold Purpose Driven Life, 80 million copies of that book, in part, I think, because he tuned into people's desire for purpose. Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, written, written you know, over 80 years ago, continues to resonate with people. Why? Because we have this search and desire to know our meaning and our purpose. And we kind of know that when we live with a sense of purpose and meaning, our lives are so much better. There's so many benefits. But when you know your purpose or have a clarity about that, decisions become so much simpler. If it aligns with your purpose, the answer is a yes. If it doesn't align with your purpose, the answer is no. When we have a sense of purpose and meaning, we are so much more resilient. This past week, I was listening to a podcast interview with um, John Gordon, <clears throat> speaker and author John Gordon, and he said this, it's not what we do that burns us out or that tires us out, it's we forget why we do it. And I think that's so true. When we forget why we do what we do, we get, we gets easy, we get tired so easily, but when we have a sense of purpose, we can overcome obstacles. When we have a sense of purpose, we have greater joy in our lives because we celebrate the victories even more and we, get, we, have this, we can find joy even in the trials and tribulations. When we live with a sense of purpose, we're not dragged down into a bunch of petty little things. No, because we know we're living for a bigger cause. And so we're going to look at that, what we can learn from John's life when it comes to purpose over the next six weeks. And each week we're going to unveil one step that we can take to living with a greater sense of purpose and clarity of purpose in our lives. Now, before we, we start for this week, I, I just want to get into the scripture in just a moment. I do want to say my heart is really for those of you who are high school students or college students or into your 20s, like you know, kind of starting out in life, because the sooner you can grab hold of your purpose, the greater joy you'll have and the greater impact you can make. But really, I think all of us, no matter where you are in your life stage, whether you're in the, the middle of your life or you know, in the middle of your career or towards the end of your career, retirement or, or beyond that, it's never too late to reconnect with our sense of purpose. So over these next six weeks, we're going to look at the life of John, reconnect with that purpose. And again, we're going to give one step each week. But these aren't like steps you check off the box and then you're done. They're kind of things for us to do over and over again. So we're going to jump into John's life, and we're going to do that by looking at his parents. There was a priest named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. All right, so that's John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're told 
Both were righteous in the eyes of God, observing all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So we learn about Zechariah and Elizabeth and this incredible pain in their lives. They couldn't have a child. And I'm a father of eight. It's never been an issue for us, so I can, no, yeah. I, I can only imagine that pain of, of someone who, who can't have a child. And, but Zachariah and Elizabeth, they knew that pain. And that pain was compounded because in that time, it would have been thought they had done something wrong. So the gospel writer Luke is making clear, look, they were righteous. They observed all the commandments blamelessly. This wasn't a punishment from God. They had done nothing wrong, but they could not have a child. Continues. Once, when he was serving as priest and his divisions turned before God, according to the practice of the priestly service, he was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. So Zechariah was a priest, not a Catholic priest as we would understand it, a priest in the Jewish faith. And there were, were thousands and thousands of priests at that time. And so his division, and there were thousands in his division, twice a year, they would go to Jerusalem and they go in there to, to pray. But then one person would get to go into the sanctuary, into the special part of the temple, and burn incense to God. Well, as luck would have it, or providence, on this day, Zechariah is chosen in to, to light the incense. So it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Luke continues to tell us, Then when the whole assembly of the people was praying outside the hour of the incense offering, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled by what he saw, and fear came upon him. <coughs> so there's Zechariah in the temple. And as he goes to light the incense, an angel appears to him. And look what the response is. He was troubled, and fear came upon him. And this is a reminder to us of the transcendence of God, that God wants to be close to us, but he also, he's also wholly other. Because whenever an angel appears to people in Scripture, one of his mess, just as one of his messengers come, people are afraid. They are troubled in their spirit. They, they know they are standing in front of a powerful presence. So then we're told. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So the angel says, Do not be afraid. What did I say? John, thank you. Thanks, front row's paying attention. All right, thank you. All right, that would be a different message next. All right, so you shall name him John. Thanks. All right, so the angel says to Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Right, one of the most biggest commands of Scripture is do not be afraid. It said it over 365 times in the Scriptures. And he says your prayer has been heard. Now we can imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for years and years and years. And it seemed like God hadn't heard their prayer. But God was listening. Don't give up praying. Don't give up praying. The angels listen. God hears your prayer. So the angel says, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall name him John. And John means 
Jehovah's gracious gift. Jehovah's gracious gift. This past series, we sang that song, last series, we sang a song, Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner or God is my victory. Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. Jehovah Rapha, God is my healer. Here, John means God's gracious gift. Other translations say the Lord has shown favor and mercy. Angel continues, he says this, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither strong wine nor strong drink. So the angel goes on to say who this person will be. He says many will rejoice at his birth because people thought Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren. They knew when they had a child, it must be God doing something, that God was at work. And he says he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is an, an idiom to say, he will play a part in God's plan, God's plan for salvation, God's plan to bring his grace and mercy into this world. Your son, Zechariah, will be great in the Lord's sight. He has a special role to play in what God is up to in the world. He will drink neither strong wine nor strong drink. So again, this idea, this austere, ascetic lifestyle, disciplined lifestyle. <clears throat> he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. So the angel keeps on saying how great John is going to be. He says he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll be driven by the Holy Spirit his whole life. He will return many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. In other words, people who are far from God, they're going to come back to God because of John and his work. He says this, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now this is even bigger news. Because it was, for, it was foretold that before the Messiah came, a prophet would come in the power and spirit of Elijah. We talked about him last summer. So this is huge. To turn the hearts of fathers toward their children. Another prophecy from the prophet Malachi. That again, a prophet would come and turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. And what a beautiful image too of generations coming together. And the disobedient to the understanding of righteousness to prepare a people fit for the Lord. So the angel says, your son, Zechariah, is going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. I mean, all these things the angel says to Zechariah, even before John is conceived. And for Zechariah, think about it. For years and years, you've been waiting for a child, hoping, praying for a child, and finally, the angel comes and says, you're going to have a son, and not just any son. Your son's going to play a special role in what God is doing in the world. So, of course, Zachariah is like, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, angel, for coming and sharing this with me. Not quite. Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Zechariah says, I don't believe you. Like, I, I, no way. And, and we can get some surprising news, even if it's good news, and act in a way that doesn't make any sense. I remember my wife Mia told me that um, she, she was pregnant, we were going to have our first child. My response was this I said, No way, you're lying. Why would she lie about that? And, you know, like, my wife's not a liar. She's very much a truth teller. So 
But I was, just, you know, you just, you're not, you're not expecting that, you know, and you just get surprised, and that's what I said. Now, when we had the second child, I was a little less surprised, and the third a little less, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, a little less, a little less. By the seventh child, I was like, okay, what's for dinner tonight, what, you know? <laughs> Because we were like on the every other year plan, and that was just sort of where we were. So, and then five years went by, and one Saturday morning, I'm like, oh, I guess we're done. So uh, we had this baby stuff hanging around, and it was old because we'd had all these kids. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take it down to the gump, dump. I go down to the dump, throw it all out. And two weeks later, <laughs> my wife says, I'm pregnant. And I say, you're lying. But she wasn't lying, and we had our eighth, Nadia. So anyway, we can say dumb stuff when we are surprised. So Zacharias says something dumb. He's like, hey, I, I don't believe you. He's so overwhelmed. He says, how can I know this? And I think the angel probably was like, how can you know it? Because I just told you. What do you mean, how can you know it? Well, here's actually what the angel says, and this is the angel Gabriel. And the angel said to him in reply, I am Gabriel, who stand before God, I was sent to speak to you and to announce to you the good news. But now you will be speechless and unable to talk until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at the proper time. All right, Zechariah, you didn't believe me? Now you'll be struck mute and unable to speak. And that sounds like a discipline or a punishment and in part it was, and God disciplines those whom he loves. But it was also a mercy. And you might think, how is that? Well, imagine if you saw an angel, <coughs> and an angel talked to you. You might start to doubt whether that was real, and it really happened. So from that point on, whenever Zachariah started to doubt what the angel had told him, And when he tried to speak and no words came out of his mouth, he's like, oh yeah, that wasn't in my imagination. That really happened. I'm really going to have a son who plays a special role in God's plan. And Zechariah left, and he wasn't able to speak, but he was able to do other things. He was able to fulfill his husbandly duty, and the next thing we know, Elizabeth is pregnant and going to have a child. And we'll pick up the story there next week. But I promised you earlier that each week we're going to look at John's story and we're going to have one lesson, one insight, one step we can all take away in understanding our purpose. So here's step one. If you want to know your purpose in life, have an angel announce your birth. Let's close in prayer. There we go. Now, obviously, that's, that's not our takeaway. I mean, it'd be pretty cool if you have an angel announce your birth. Love to hear your story, but this is it. Seek God and ask him your purpose. You see, just as, John, uh, just as God had a very clear purpose in creating John, there was clarity. He had clarity when he created you. He created you for a purpose. You know, some of my younger kids will see pictures of um, 
older, you know, older kids in a family picture from before they were born, and they'll, they'll say to my wife, me, and they'll be like, well, well where was I? How come I'm not, I'm not in the picture? And my wife, I think, has a great response. She says, well, you are in God's mind. You've been in God's mind since the beginning of time. He created you for a purpose. He didn't create you by accident. And he has created you to be great in his sight. Just like John, you can be great in God's sight. Maybe not great in the world's sight, but you've been created to be great in God's sight by living according to the purpose for which he has created you. And is not some part of your heart and soul leap with joy, but that possibility to please God, to say, for God to say to you, you were great in my sight, you are great in my sight. And I think we, the way we do that is by getting in touch with the purpose or the reason for which God has created us. Here's what St. John Henry Newman said, I love this. God has created us for some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. You have a mission. You have a purpose that God has created you for. Our role is to seek God and find it. So throughout the course of the series, we're going to seek God. And if you know somebody maybe who's a little bit adrift, could use a little bit of clarity of purpose. Maybe you want to invite them to join us for the rest of this series. And what I would ask you to do is to commit to this series because we're going we're to go step by step in learning from John's life of how to live with greater clarity of purpose in our lives, to gain clarity and then live it out. But for this week, we're going to pray in just a minute, but I would encourage, and we're going to seek God, but I would encourage you maybe to seek God throughout the course of this week and ask him to help you see the reason for which he has created you, why you've been in his mind since the beginning of time. And maybe that's tomorrow morning when you have your coffee, just to have some quiet, ask that question, tell God, God, I'm seeking you and the mission you have for my life. God, I want to be great in your sight. Help me to see that. Maybe on your drive to work, you, you turn off you know, any noise, the radio, when you listen there, or doing the first thing out of bed, and or whatever you got to do tomorrow, it's, at some point, just give yourself some quiet and say, God, I am seeking you and I want to know your purpose for my life. I want to be reconnected to your purpose for my life. Because ask and God, will be answer, and God will answer. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Seek God because he has created you for some definite purpose. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of John. We thank you for the announcement of the angel to his, his father, Zechariah. And God, we just confess now that we do believe you have created us for a purpose and a reason. And in our hearts, we want to be great in your sight. We want to please you, Father, by connecting with our purpose. So through the course of this series, help us again to seek you and discover more about why you have put us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks for watching with us today. Hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss a single thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply 
by sharing this video. We are so grateful you're part of our community.